Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Back after a couple weeks, uh, episode 51, we had our big episode 50 roundtable, and uh, kind of have a roundtable of sorts tonight. Of course, we got the usual. We got uh, Mr. Mr. Luke Reed in the house, and uh, the house. Bobby Church is sitting in again with us. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> <laughs> and on the line, uh, we only got a few, we only got about an hour with him, so we're going to get, uh, we, we got a lot to talk about, so we got uh, L.A. Marzulli on the line, and uh we uh, finally got this going here, and uh, L.A., welcome to uh, Conspira Normal. Hey, thanks for having me back on, guys. Hey, glad to have you, man. Yes, sir. Uh, what's, uh, just kind of like real brief, and also, by the way, uh, you are a fellow uh, Fringe Radio Network guy. We're on the Fringe as well. Okay. And uh, just for anyone that may not know who you are, possibly... Uh, like, who are you? What is it that you do? How did you become interested, involved in, like, research on UFOs? Sure. Um, I've written eight books. I'm a Nephilim, or a Nephilim, depending on how you want to pronounce it. <clears throat> I'm a trail of a Nephilim. Volume 2 uh, will be out probably in the fall with some, uh, I believe, some groundbreaking research. Uh, I've been researching UFOs. I've been interested in them since, um, really, when I was 13 or 12, I should say. I saw my first one at Boy Scout camp and um, sort of looked into it 
off and on, and uh, I became a Christian 34 years ago. That changed my paradigm, and I began to realize that the phenomena uh, was something other than extraterrestrial um, vehicles from the Pleiades, and so even Jacques Vallée, a secular <clears throat> ufologist, and many believe perhaps the one of the founding fathers of modern-day ufology, uh, in his best-selling book called them Messengers of Deception, and that's sort of the paradigm that I have come to embrace, particularly through a Christian worldview. Um, I'm also a filmmaker, and we've created seven Watchers, uh, or DVDs in a series called the Watchers series. And we're, at number eight will be out, and uh, number seven actually won uh, the best film and People's Choice Awards at the uh, EBE Film Festival in Phoenix in um, 20, uh, yeah, this year. So uh, that was sort of exciting, and uh, it's nice to have an award, you know, best film, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that was kind of cool. And Watchers 8, which, again, is on uh, ufology, some groundbreaking interviews in that, and, of course, um, high strangeness in the operating theater when we actually remove an implant from Bill, not his real name, whom we uh, interviewed in, in Watchers, uh, started, I think, I believe in, in six, and then, I'm sorry, in seven for sure, and then we actually continued the process in eight. It was the last uh, operation, last extraction that Dr. Roger Lear performed before he, his untimely passing several months ago. Uh, yeah. It's a real loss to us. It's, uh, we miss him, and uh, almost a day doesn't go by where Rick and I will talk about how much we miss him and hanging out with him. But uh, <clears throat> he's gone, and um, you know, not much you can do. So that's just a thumbnail sketch of uh, you know, what I do. Uh, you, uh, the Watcher series, you've had on some people we've had on this show. We've had on uh, David Weatherly, uh, Chris Putnam, Chris White. Sure. And probably quite a few other people that have been on as well. Maybe Russ Dizdar. I don't know if he's been in any of the Watcher series, but uh, he's been on as well. Uh, I wanted to ask about, you know, kind of your path there and what led you to believe that UFOs were not from another planet. And what I kind of mean by that is what was kind of the evidence that you saw for, like, kind of like the demonic uh, interpretation of, of UFOs? Well, um, overwhelmingly, they come and they, they, they take people against their will. Um, what really did it for me was um, Dr. David Jacobs' books. I mean, I was already yeah. um, the, the, the first, and he's been in the Watcher series several times, um, but his books, which um, discuss the so-called alien abduction phenomena, were absolutely disturbing and chilling and reading the accounts of people of course taken against their will sperm is taken from the men over from the women and uh, hybrid beings are created and of course this this is when you take dr ide thomas's groundbreaking both the omega conspiracy written in 1976 which i cut my teeth on and frankly most everyone else has too <clears throat> and add to that dr jacob's book the threat and, and the other ones that he's written, um, it becomes uh, very telling that something is going on here, going back to Jacques Vallée, that in his words is more akin to the demonic than it is to extraterrestrial. Um, so it was a lot of different research, and this is way back in you know, the, the, um, the 
the late 80s into the early 90s for me, um, researching it before I um, started out with the first book, uh, Nephilim or Nephilim, which was published by Zondervan. And uh, that, that's the book that started all. It was sort of a, a nonfiction or, or a fictional account, um, like a Christian X-Files. And I had actually thought of it before the X-Files came out. So it was actually when the X-Files came out, I was really bummed because I felt like they had taken the idea. But, yeah. um, which, you know, they didn't, but it doesn't matter. But, but um, you know, we, we actually did three uh, books in the series of the Nephilim trilogy. Uh, two of them, the first two became uh, CBA bestsellers, which was really kind of cool. And then we turned all that information into non-fictional work, and that's pretty much what I do um, all the time. It's like writing fiction is great. It's actually much harder to write a, uh, a novel than it is to write a treatise. It's like at least three times to four times as hard because you've got character arcs, you've got plots, you've got settings. I mean, it's just, you know, you've got to keep people turning the page. Where research is research, and a treatise is a treatise. You're taking the information and just presenting that to people. Uh, where novels are, you, you take the information and then create a whole world to present the information in. Whole different, whole different animal. Uh, much, much more difficult. <clears throat> but, um, <clears throat> you know, I've been researching forever, continue to research. On the Trail of a Nephilim 2, Watchers 8. Watchers 8 will come out in June, On the Trail in the fall. But both of them are packed with information that uh, is, is groundbreaking, cutting-edge stuff. And that's sort of what we do. In other words, a lot of authors, with all due respect, um, go on the Internet, and I do this too, and read books, and of course I do that, and that's only good to, 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 to a point. At some point, researchers have to get out in the field, have to begin to go to these places and examine what's really there. Because it gives us, for instance, you know, you can read about Sacsayhuaman in Peru, yeah. where 120-ton megalithic stones were, were quarried 40 miles away and then, and then stacked with, with, with total precision, you know, polygonal shapes. Um, how is that possible? You, you know, get what I'm saying? I mean, how, how is that possible? And it's like going, going to places like Sacsayhuaman, uh, you know, in, in other places, it, it changes it changes everything because all of a sudden you're, you know, I'm standing there <clears throat> in, in, in front of a 120-ton boulder, you know, megalithic stone, which really shouldn't be there, but that it is. And uh, how do they move it? How do they cut it? And it, you can watch, you can see all the pictures of it in the world and on the trail is an oversized book, eight and a half by 11. And the reason why I did it that way was to, you know, show the, the mammoth size of the stones, but it still doesn't do, it, it still doesn't get the same perspective as when you're actually standing in or at Sacsayhuaman and looking at, at the incredible stonework in front of you. It's a whole different feeling. And <clears throat> I've traveled all over the United States and South America um, in 2013-2014, been to Peru three times now, now, I just came back from a trip three weeks um, in May. Actually, returned. It'll be two weeks this Wednesday, so I'm, you know, fresh on the heels of that. We saw a city there. It'll be it'll be in volume two, the oldest city in North, Central, and South America. It's called Corral, and and what piqued my interest with this city, in which I found absolutely 
fascinating um, on, on so many different levels with this because <clears throat> this city, which is a pyramidal complex um, in the middle of nowhere, it's in a beautiful valley with a river running through it, but for all practical purposes, it's in the middle of nowhere, okay? And it's about a three-hour drive, three-and-a-half, four-hour drive north of Lima and then inland. And it, it, the valley is very verdant. It's been farming. People have been farming there for thousands of years. Uh, the river was, was pristine and clear, and, and there's fish in it, and it's just, it's just a beautiful setting. It's very idyllic. But above the river on this sort of plateau is the remains of the lost city of Corral. And this thing just comes into being. There's no culture which precedes it. There's no precursor to what we see um, at, at Corral. It just, oh, it? It's just oh, 5,000 years old. 5,000, okay. And it just, it just rises up from nothing, it seems. And, and what's, what's astounding about it, the builders had advanced geometry, advanced engineering, architecture. They're able to um, construct using a labor force, which means that they've got an infrastructure which is able to support them. They've got advanced knowledge of, of astronomy. Where does all this come from? Where does this knowledge come from? How, how did these people do it? And the moment I got there, I, I looked at the guide, and I, and I said, this reminds me of Teotihuacan in Mexico, where I was in 2013. And he looked at me and said, yes, Teotihuacan came much later. And I said, yeah, I know that, but it's the same type of building. And again, Teotihuacan, you know, when, when I went there, I wasn't feeling good. I was, I had, it was 5,000 feet above sea level, and I was, I, Montezuma's Revenge was, was claiming, uh, you know, every 10 minutes and that whole deal. I just was not, did not do well on that trip. We were only down there for like four or five days or whatever, and I just, you know, I just got slammed immediately. But when I went to Teotihuacan, I was like, well, this, yeah, this is pretty amazing, but I didn't, I didn't really get it until after I had left, and then I went, oh, my gosh, the same deal. Why do these people get up on a Monday morning and construct this stuff? Who taught them? Where does the knowledge come from? And this, of course, is, is my, my hypothesis, my premise. Look, we know that geometry, let's say, didn't happen 5,000 years ago. It didn't happen that. And yet there's, there's evidence of geometry. And you have to because you've got complex pyramidal structures which are all aligned to celestial alignments and solar alignments. I mean, where, where is it coming from? And, of course, I'm laying all that down to, to say that I believe my hypothesis is we are looking at what I would call Nephilim architecture. That's, that's what I've come to call it. And what I mean by that is there is a fallen angelic being which is there, which is being worshipped as a god, and is, and is dispensing this knowledge to humans. There probably are hybrid beings there also, which, are, which then become the royalty. There is evidence of human sacrifice on this site. One of my first questions I asked the guide, is there evidence of human sacrifice? He kind of looks around nervously and says, yes, we found a man with his fingers sliced off and who was, who was a ritualistically sacrificed. So, and there's precedent for this all, all over these sites. When you really start digging in, even if I, can, if I can jump up to North America, the Great Circle Mound, human sacrifice found 
um, in, in the, what they call the, the Eagle Mound effigy, but who knows what it really was. So human sacrifice is sort of a, the calling card of the fallen one, the idea of a blood sacrifice being used. LA, what, what is the link between these sites, the Nephilim, and what is going on today? And the question also is, what, who are they hybrid with? What is being mixed in? Well, look, what's interesting here, and, and I realize I have colleagues that don't believe that the breeding program and the hybrid thing, and I, don't, I really don't care at this point what, what these people believe or what they don't believe. You know, why don't you okay. get out in the field and take out an implant and you tell me what you're looking at, and then, then we'll discuss it. And I'm sorry if I sound a little, you know, sort of ticked off and, and you know, riding, up, riding in on my horse or whatever, but it really That's gets okay. annoying when these so-called experts – um, you know, write these, write, and that was the blog this morning, and Tom Warren posted a thing, these heresy hunters which come on and, and just blast us, guys like Missler and Horn and, and Chris Putnam and others and myself, you know, because of what, what we're trying to warn. Look, implants are real, okay? You know, we've got them, and this is all in Watchers 8. We've got them on X-ray, we've got them on CAT scan, we've got them on the Gauss meter, which measures magnetic field, 7.5. We've got them on an ultrasound machine. It's right there. It's hard physical evidence. It's not delusionary. Somebody these are implants that are coming from like alien abduction. These are people right. that have been abducted. By the way, there's no entry wound on these implants. How did it get there? You tell me. There's a there's a there's a um, a coating which goes around the implant, which I've seen. I've been in the lab. I've watched them slice it open and take the object out of the what we call the cocoon. Which, which is a biological substance. We don't know where it's from or really what it is, but it keeps the body from expunging the implant. And when we were there, and I'll, tip, I'll, I'll tell you what's the most extraordinary since we're talking about all this stuff, there's, there's something going on, okay? And Scripture tells us it will be like the days of Noah. And we can argue that point, but what differentiates the days of Noah, in my opinion, are the presence of the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God. They're procreating with the women of earth. They're creating the Sonoli hybrid known as the Nephilim. Now, we can pretend and, and, and somehow just, just say, well, I don't believe that because it can't happen again. And you can, we can embrace that position if we want to, which happened when you guys were in um, Nashville at that, at that, that, that Ancient of Days, or whatever the name of the conference was. I don't think it was the called. Last Day's Conference. Yeah, Last yeah. Day's Conference. And there was that whole you know, lineup at the end. It was like, whoa, you know, it was like, this is not good because you've got um, five people saying that this is all demonic delusion, and I'm not, I didn't go along with that at all. But for the sake of the 300 people or whoever was in the room, I kept my mouth shut. Since then, um, I've been very extremely vociferous on this, and this is why we're so interested in the hardcore physical evidence, because you can't dispute it. It takes it out of the realm of hearsay, and we're in the lab, and, and we've got this guy, and he was taken at five years old, and the implant's been in him for 40 years, and it's gone off twice with excruciating pain, and that's why the guy wants it out. But it gets better. Remember I said that we saw this thing on X-ray, CAT scan, Gauss meter, um, ultrasound machine, and also a stud finder. The stud finder went off perfectly and showed us where it was, okay? So we know it's there. You know, especially on the ultrasound machine. Boom, there it is. We take him to the doctor's office. He takes the x-ray, puts the x-ray over the patient's knee, puts a little dot with a magic marker, 
where um, the implant is and squirts the lotion on his leg, takes the wand from the ultrasound. Like what, a minute and a half, two minutes later, the thing is there. Okay, great, we'll take it out in three weeks. So now it's three weeks later. It's, it's the time, the day of the operation. We've got fil- three film crews there. Dr. Roger Lear's there. Dr. Matriciano's there. We've got ten witnesses in the room watching everything uh, on a monitor. We've got nurses, doctors. I mean, the whole deal. Right? I mean, it's, it's all being filmed, blah, blah, blah. This is cutting-edge stuff. It's cutting-edge stuff. Nobody else is doing this stuff, but we're doing it. And we're doing it not because, you know, we're making millions of dollars doing it, doing it because we're trying to prove that something is going on, and guess what explains it the best? Not ancient aliens, but the biblical narrative. And that's what we always point back to. So we take him into the, into the, into the, into the doctors, you know, in, in the operating theater, and uh, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to locate the implant because you can't start cutting the guy's leg until you know where the implant is. So it's the same procedure that Dr. Matriciano did three weeks earlier. He takes the x-ray photograph, puts it over the knee, the right knee, um, looks at the, looks where the uh, object is, makes a little black dot there, puts the lotion back on, takes the wand from the ultrasound. He then proceeds for over an hour to go over a little three-by-eight-inch strip of flesh. He can't find anything. He can't find it. And at one point after like an hour and 15 minutes, you know, everybody's kind of getting antsy. you got all these people, the film crew's doing a whole deal, right? He kind of looks up at Dr. Roger Lear, and this is on a Saturday. And he goes, well, maybe we should uh, get another x-ray. And Dr. Lear goes, well, uh, we know it's there. Now, we took the Gauss meter to try to locate it. Gauss meter was zero. Wouldn't register. The stud finder went off everywhere on the guy's body. All right, so the two, the two pieces of equipment that we were using that showed us very clearly where the implant was were no longer working. It was like the object was being cloaked, okay? So the only believers that are there are Richard Shaw and myself that we know about anyway. Elaine, when these, when these are taken out, these implants, yeah. uh, it, I know that Roger Lear had had them examined. What what was the conclusion? Yeah, let me let me finish up the story. Through? Let me let okay. me yeah let me finish the story because you guys gotcha. will find this really interesting. Um, right. So, it's been an hour and ten minutes. We can't find the implant. Gauss meter doesn't work. Stud finder is, is going off all over his body, no matter where we place it. Dr. Matriciano is, is frustrated because he can't find the implant, and yet it was there. It took him two minutes, less than two minutes, the first time to find it. So we know something was there. We've got hardcore physical proof. At this point, and welcome to Spiritual Warfare 2.0, maybe even 3.0, I get the little tap on the shoulder from the spirit of a living God. And, and it, the Lord tells me, you need to pray and pray now. So... I'm in a room full of non-believers, okay? Get, get, get the scene. And I look over yeah. at Richard, and I say, okay, guys, this might sound really weird, but I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do it right now. And at that point, I say this. It's a very short prayer. I said, Father, if there are forces which are cloaking this, this implant, I pray that you would break their power and do it soon. That's all I said. Okay. Less than two minutes later, the implant all of a sudden materializes on the monitor for the ultrasound. And when I say materialize, it materialized. It, like, it looked like a Photoshop after effect. It like all of a sudden came into focus, which, which it shouldn't have done. That's, how, that's not how that machine works. 
and everyone, including Dr. Lear, was blown away by what had just happened. And on Monday, this was on a Saturday, on the following Monday, when we were in the lab testing it, I took Dr. Lear outside the last time I ever saw him. And I said, I hope you realize what happened in that operating theater on Saturday. And he looked at me, his eyes got real big, and he said, L.A., I now believe that there's a supernatural component to the phenomena, and I'm going to tell Whitley Strieber about this. Oh, wow. Yep. And that's, 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 that's all in Watchers 8, and this is cutting-edge, groundbreaking stuff, guys. I mean, it is. L.A., let me ask you one question here. Um, this is Bobby, actually. But uh, how do you feel, like, aliens relate to Christianity as far as, like, for layman's terms for the listeners? Well, hmm, let, me, let me think on that for a second. I'm eating a piece of cheese with salami. How absolutely disgustingly <laughs> unprofessional. Let me finish. Let me finish this by all. We are pretty disgustingly you unprofessional on this show, so they're your among friends. There you go. Um, <laughs> really good. Um, well, Jesus warns us that men will faint from fear from what is coming on the earth, upon the earth. Paul tells us and warns us that Satan comes of all signs and lying wonders. Jesus warns us that even the elect would be deceived if that were possible. So, from my point of view, being a, a dispensationalist and looking at prophecy and looking at scripture and knowing that Israel has been regathered from the four corners of the earth and, and established reestablished in their ancient homeland after almost 2,000 years of diaspora, fulfilling a multitude of prophecies, which we don't have time to get into now unless you want to, that, to me, starts the end-time clock ticking. Okay. And with that in mind, what's manifesting? What, what's manifesting? And I've written about this extensively in my book, The Cosmic Chess Match, that when... And I talk about it in my lectures. When Ben Stein sits down with Richard Dawkins, Stein is a Jew, and he believes in a loving God, as we do. He believes in, in, in the God of the Bible. And Dawkins doesn't. Dawkins is an, is an atheist. He's an ardent evolutionist, one of the defenders of evolution. And Stein asks um, Dawkins, where did life come from? Where did the first self-replicating molecule come from? Where did life, how did it happen? And Dawkins, you know, kind of, he's very vexed by the question. No one knows. Well, okay, how do you think it might have started? Stein throws him a lifeline. Well, it could have happened in this way, and this is what these guys believe, because they have no answers. This is why the whole, whole evolution thing, I read a, a sidebar, I read a little, little blasting thing on evolution today where some guy's blasting, blasting the creationist because he's trying to tell us that, you know, goosebumps, when we have goosebumps, are a throwback to when we had feathers. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. They just, just make it up as they go along, and they call us crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, pal, and that we actually had tails, and so people that are born with tails are a throwback to our ancestors. Glad you think so, okay? So anyway, so, so we, Stein asked, asked Dawkins a question, and Dawkins says, well, it could have happened in this way. Um, 
another galaxy millions of years ago, a race of highly evolved extraterrestrials who would have had to have gotten to that state of, of, of evolution or that state of uh, civilization and scientific achievement by some sort of Darwinian process, <laughs> oh, really, seeded, you know, created us in a lab and then seeded us through the cosmos. That, that theory is called panspermia. And here we are. Ta-da! And at some point, the creators will come back. Look at the movie last year, Prometheus. This is exactly what they were talking about. We are being inundated, inundated, blasted on every corner with the idea that E.T., the extraterrestrial, including the Vatican, and Chris Putman, you know, his, his groundbreaking book with Tom Warren, that's the Vatican, who we interviewed in the Watcher series, you know, talks about all this. The Vatican is expecting an alien savior. They've alluded to it. They're talking about it. It is, it is, it is constantly being thrown up. And here's the deal. The Darwinian paradigm, the Darwinian theory, because it's just a theory, and there's, there still is no transitory, um, you know, just show me one now. You know, I don't care about the fossil record. Just show me a hippopotamus that is, that's becoming something else. Oh, it's yesterday in Kenya, we saw evidence of a hippopotamus that appears to be growing a set of wings. Absolutely incredible. I mean, it's not there. And we know right. because of the DNA, the oxyribonucleic double helix of life, the spiral of life, that everything, just like the Bible tells us, reproduces according to its kind. Hummingbirds beget hummingbirds. They never beget humpback whales. Humpback whales don't beget penguins. Penguins don't beget brontosauruses. It just... That's, that's what we're dealing with here, because the coding reproduces that, that whatever it is into its own kind. Human beings are not creating chimpanzees, and chimpanzees are not creating human beings, unless an outside agency goes in and messes with the genome. Then, then something this, else will happen. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there, but um, how, okay, Darwin aside, and all the Darwin believers and whatnot aside... How does your studies inflict with Jesus Christ communicating, or I'm sorry, Jesus Christ and aliens? How does how does that pertain together? Like how how are the two related? Well, the two are related because that's that's the point I was trying to make in a very laborious way. But the bottom line is we are being inundated with the whole idea that we were created by ET, which is completely contradictory and antithetical. Okay to what we as Christians believe in, to what Jesus right. talks about. There is a second coming. He is coming back. The great deception that, that is not, that, that term, by the way, is not coined in the Bible. It's actually a term that I came up with and used in, in my second book in the Nephilim trilogy. The great deception is coming. Uh, when Second Thessalonians says that the son of man, or that the son of perdition, rather, the man of sin, will not be revealed until the great falling away happens, that word is apostasia. It can mean departure, but that it does not mean departure from the, uh, like rapture, rapturo. It doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is it goes back into the idea of an apostasy, which begs the question, what event can cause an apostasy, can cause millions and millions of people around the world to believe the lie? Uh, what is it? Jim Cunningham is one of his favorite favorite scriptures. It bases his whole ministry on because they believe, you know, they didn't believe the truth. God sends them strong illusion. He sends them the lie. It's coming. What is manifesting now? Two thousand UFOs per month sightings globally. What are we being inundated with? It's this. Well, what are it's the UFO. 
I mean, I'm sure, yeah, unidentified flying object, but to you personally, what do you feel you saw when you were 13? I saw a UFO, classic silver disc. Classic silver disc. Let me come in just for a bit and say that what what is being said is that UFOs are pretty much a deception that's being done by demonic powers and by the devil himself. That that's that's what's going on. It's a way to say that the aliens are coming here and they're they're going to give us all these great things and they're going exactly just like Enoch, right? Just back in the days of Noah. It goes back to the time before in the Bible before the flood with Genesis 6, and <clears throat> that's being equated with what's going now with, like, uh, alien abductions. Same thing, isn't it? And what's interesting is, in my opinion, it fulfills the prophecy of Daniel. Their seed, who, who's the they? Their seed will mingle with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to them. And that, to me, is a throwback to Genesis 6. Remember, out of the entire Tanakh that Jesus can point to, he points to the days of Noah. It'll be like the days of Noah when the Son of Man returns. Why is he saying that? You know, why not say something else? What differentiates the days of Noah? And isn't it interesting that here we've had, you know, movies for, I don't know, 80, 90 years, whatever the heck it is, right? And, and now, finally, they come out with a, 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 a ridiculous movie on Noah which has nothing to do with the biblical account at all. And had they come to me or, or Tom Horn or someone else that, you know, that's written about the Nephilim, Doug Hamp, for instance, and um, uh, consulted us, they would have had a blockbuster on their hands. They would have had something that would be cutting edge and unbelievable. But instead, they make it all up. And they make Noah some sort of a psychopath, and God's really weird, and the fallen angels are actually these stone things that somehow get, you know... Get, get thrown back to heaven. It's like, what? They're just making uh, it up I'll as they go along. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The problem with it is there are millions of people, guys, that will look at that movie and think that that's what the Bible says. Yeah. And that's what I take great umbrage in. But the Nephilim, are they, rather the Watchers or Fallen Angels, were giant rock creatures? That's how they portray them, yeah. <laughs> um, L.A., I'd, I'd like to ask about a... a a couple of uh, ruins and, and such. Well, first of all, I'd like to ask you about uh, the extraction of the implant that you were talking about earlier. Were, were you present during the extraction? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's all on film. It's all in Watchers 8. Absolutely. That's, oh. when, when, I, when I prayed, that's when, that's the whole point of, of that, you know, 10-minute diatribe. When I prayed, all of a sudden the implant, you know, sort of faded in on the, on the um, on the monitor screen, and then we found it, and then he was able to extract it. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I guess I didn't make that clear. I'm really sorry if I didn't, but yeah, I was in the operating theater. That's when I prayed the prayer in this operating theater because it had been over an hour. We couldn't find it. I prayed the prayer. All of a sudden, bam! It shows up on the ultrasound monitor. It's like what the heck? And then we took the thing out, and um, okay. it was like, here's what's chilling about that whole whole scenario, they knew what we were up to, and they switched it off, or they cloaked it somehow. They knew what we were up to, and they, and they didn't want it out. But we called upon a power greater than them, and he showed up, and we got the victory. 
That's why I said spiritual warfare 3.0. Just to ask real quick, Lear had had these implants examined. What were some of the results of what they were what they were made? What element? Well, yeah. we, the element is mostly iron, and the closest thing we have to it is meteoric meteoric iron. Um, that's that's what it looks like. Um, it looked like other implants we've seen. So it was, but it was switched off. It was not doing anything at the lab. Um, it has what I would call that looked like little hairs coming out of it. Okay. Which may be the way it interfaces with um, uh, a human being. We don't really know. Um, what's interesting is, is pre-op, when we took the Gauss meter and held it up to the, where the implant was, it registered 7.0 on the Gauss meter, 7.0 milligauss on the Gauss meter. Richard's fully charged battery in his, in his Canon camera was a 10. So here's a little thing, little implant about the size of a pencil lead, registering about 7.7.5 milligauss on the Gauss meter. How the heck is that possible? And then when we took it out, boom, dead, switched off. Hmm. Yeah. Where, where are they keeping the object now? Uh, it's in Dr. Lear's. Well, that I don't know. All the objects were at one point in time in Dr. Lear's possession. I'm not sure who's going to take possession of it and who, who you know, is going to um, continue the research. Obviously, we want to, along with uh, A&E Chief Scientist Steve Colburn, uh, we, we want to keep the research going. But, uh, right. You know, that's where we are. That's something that you'd most likely have to stash away and, and, uh, because people trying to cover up, you know, may catch wind of where the object is. So right. I understand that. Uh, so I, was, I wanted to ask you about the ruins, too. Uh, you know about the site Aztalan here in America? Yeah, I was just at it several months ago. Oh, okay. Um, so what do, you, what do you make of that? Do you, do you, think, uh, you think there was an actual, like, stone, limestone pyramid there? Well, again, archaeology will, will paint a completely different picture than the one I hold. I hold to the, my theory, my hypothesis, is that Nephilim tribes fled the Levant um, 3,500 years ago with the conquest of Joshua and Caleb, the conquest of Israel by, or the conquest of the Promised Land by Joshua and Caleb. Um, this, is a, this is why it's the Nephilim... Understanding Genesis 6, if we don't get it right, then everything else collapses, and I really mean that. We don't understand that we're in a, involved in a seed war. We don't understand that when Chuck Messler warns us, Satan's outnumbered two to one, he's trying to create an army, we don't understand what he's talking about. It's like, this is why it's so important. The hypothesis is that as Joshua and Caleb pressed into the Promised Land, Nephilim tribes fled. Some of them went out the Mediterranean and went up in the Gulf of Mexico, came up that way. Others went up through Europe and came over across, um, in, you know, Newfoundland, Canada, settled in the Ohio Valley, fanned out. And I'll, I'm going to show you some of this stuff in, in, the, in the new book um, on the Trail of a Nephilim, Volume 2. I've got photographic evidence, you know, nine footers with six fingers. You know, and that, that's groundbreaking. There's nothing else. Go, go look on the, on, on the web. There's nothing else out there. You know, right. most of this stuff has been hidden away. And the photographs I found were, in fact, hidden away for 60 years. And then they were picked over and, and sanitized, 
but they didn't get these because they didn't know what they were looking for because they weren't looking for giants and they weren't looking for nine footers but there were there is story after story after story by native americans of nine footers and i've got photographic evidence and i'm going to present that in on the trail of the nephilim too but the bottom line is if this, if the hypothesis is true then we should see evidence of the nephilim in this country and i believe we do at places like uh astalan and the great circle mound in ohio the great serpent mound in ohio um out here um, in, in other places, when you talk to Native Americans, all of, many of the tribes that I've spoken to, past Pueblo, Cherokee, um, Navajo, Hopi, talk about a race of red-haired giants that, were, that predated um, the Native American tribes that were here in the land before the Native Americans came. And this is exactly what we see in places like... Uh, uh, as to land and, and the Great Circle Mound. Native Americans did not build, with all due respect to Native Americans, they did not build the Great Circle Mound. And the archaeologists who try to tell us that this woodland culture supposedly built this with dog sleds and birch bark baskets, you know, 2,000 years ago or, or further back, I, I think it's absurd. And other, other people do. But remember, they have a paradigm which they tenaciously hold on to. They all go to the same um, archaeological school. And what I mean by that, it's they're all ardent Darwinists, all of them. And so anything supernatural cannot happen, cannot be. And any other paradigm other than the last, during the last ice age 10,000 years ago, uh, hunter-gatherers were hunting megafauna and came across the Bering Land Strait. This is called the Beringian Theory, the Beringian Land Bridge. And this is what... Uh, they tenaciously hold on to. This is why it's so interesting when we have red-haired, elongated skulls in Peru. Where does that come from? And when, when we tested the hair, which, again, all this will be in, in, in um, On the Trail of the Nephilim 2, we took four hair samples into the lab and tested them. And we, I, I published some of the results. But now I've got uh, a full-on report from the scientist, which can be used as peer review, that people can look at and challenge if they want to challenge. It's amazing how people who know nothing about Raman spectroscopy and have never been in a lab where Raman was, was used, all of a sudden become experts and try to tell us, oh, well, you know, the evidence is skewed. How do you know? For instance, there was Brian Forrester released a preliminary study of microchondrial DNA that came from Lloyd Pye in regards to the elongated skulls in Peru. And the thing went viral. You would have thought, uh, you know, this, he was trying to tell us that, uh, you know, Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. I mean, it was unbelievable, the flack that he got and, and the flack that I got from all sorts of people um, writing these scathing, absolutely scathing articles on, on Brian, on me, uh, trying to tell us that, you know. The, and, and one of my favorite ones was this woman writes, well, the, the samples were contaminated. And I wrote it back and I said, oh, really? And how do you know that? Oh, you don't know that because you don't even know the geneticist who did the sampling. So are you lying in your article? No. 
you wouldn't lie because you're a good Christian, right? Christians wouldn't lie, would they? And deliberately obfuscate the evidence? Hmm. Why is it that, that what is it, what do you guys have an axe to grind here? What's so, so sacrosanct in your paradigm that you're unwilling to go where the evidence takes you? And the mitochondrial DNA evidence that we found said there were elements of the testing which did not match anything in the genome. We've got nine samples that are sitting in Peru that were taken from the Paracas History Museum by a Peruvian archaeologist. We are desperately trying to get those out, desperately trying to get those out of the country. We've hit a bottleneck because the archaeologist that we're working with in the States is dragging his feet. And um, if you are here listening to this podcast and you are an archaeologist um, that's, that's credentialed, uh, give me an email at la at lamarzuli.net and we will employ your services because we need, we need to, you know, have a trail of evidence coming out of Peru, which we have done legally with a Peruvian archaeologist, and we need an archaeologist here to write the report so they can submit it to the Minister of Culture so we can get the samples out. Why are we doing this? Because we believe it will show, first of all, that these, this group um, may have microchondrial DNA, which is not match anything in the genome, which exactly what we would hope to find if, in fact, these were Nephilim tribes. It fits the paradigm, doesn't it? If these really are Nephilim, then we should expect to see something in the genome which doesn't match. And so far, that's what we've come up with. Hey, LA, I want to ask you the time that we have left um, about the black-eyed children. Sure. And about how they may fit into all this that we're talking about, about Nephilim and hybrids and uh, what on, went, went on in the past. And then I have kind of an interesting question also to follow up on the Nephilim thing uh, about these Indian mounds. Do you think that there could possibly be spirits of Nephilim trapped in these mounds? Good question. Um, we know that there's been a lot of demonic activity in and around some of the mounds. Um, I've got it from a pastor in North Ohio, um, that was, um, there were major, major demonic activity going on in, in several houses, and he was ill-equipped Ill -equipped to deal with it, didn't know how to deal with it. And who can blame him? I mean, they don't teach you this stuff in seminary, right? And uh, when we did the Nephilim Mounds Conference last year, uh, he attended, we held it at his church, and he attended it, and he was just taking, you know, writing notes furiously um, because of what was going on. And, and looked at the help. So, yeah, I think, look, Enoch tells us that uh, the spirits of the Nephilim will rise up against the men and women. It doesn't say in the last days, but it says the spirits of the Nephilim. These are, in my opinion, demonic. The, the, the demons that roam the earth, in my opinion, are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim from the flood. Fallen angels are fallen angels. They're not disembodied spirits. Fallen angels can just manifest. Demons need to possess something in order to manifest. So I hope that clears up the answer with the uh, um, the mounds. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the just, reason I ask you that, yeah. is because here in Tennessee we have a legend called the Bell Witch, which is not too far from where we are now. And um, someone had done some research on the history of the Bell Witch and some of those occurrences that happened started happening after some of the uh, Bell sons 
because it was named after a family named Bell, uh, dug into an Indian mound. Right. So that's the reason I asked you about that. And also, like, the black-eyed children. I think the black-eyed children, and David Weverly and I agree on this. He's written a book, you know, Black-Eyed Children, Black-Eyed Kids. Uh, we feel that these are not children, first of all. They're far older than that, and that yeah. they're some sort of hybrid being which has been created. Um, no one has ever encountered these things and come away feeling good about it, just like the Mothman right. prophecies. Um, we believe that based on um, the witnesses, and look, I've spoken, you know, we interviewed David Weverly, okay? He did the research. Yeah. But then we interviewed for Watchers a woman who had an encounter. So I didn't have an encounter, but I'm not reading David. I read David Lilly's book, but now we're interviewing on camera someone who actually had the experience. And this woman was terrified at what she saw. And she, she describes it as looking into the eyes, as looking down a, a corridor to a pool of evil below. Her words, not mine. She had no Nephilim dog in the hunt, didn't even know what a Nephilim was. Okay? And what amazes me, once again, is here's this on, on national TV, on one of the religious stations, and this was forwarded to me. This woman, who's what we call a heresy hunter, she's on this on this program, and I won't give them credit by, by naming the program or telling you what it was. Okay. And she's slamming the crew. Um, Chuck Missler, Tom Horn, L.A. Marzulli, and others. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is what she's doing. Who is the accuser of the brethren? And she's trying to, and she's going after me on the black-eyed kids. Well, you know, lady, you know nothing about the phenomena. Um, you've never contacted me one-on-one -on -one and asked me about it. You're just blasting on national TV and, and, and telling us that we're promulgating this stuff where we're trying to warn the church of the, of the terrible time that we live in and that the stuff is real. What, what are the black-eyed kids? They're hybrid beings. Hybrid meaning alien or... Rather, no. In this case, like no, it's uh, not alien, no. I mean, it's not. It's fallen angelic stuff mixing with the human genome, creating a hybrid, which is a soulless one. They don't have souls, in my opinion. How can we tell them different? Well, first of all, you don't want to see one. Are, are they among us? Yeah, they're not walking around with us. They appear. They appear, and according to what our research and the witnesses that we've spoken to and the go-to guy who's David Weatherly, when they do appear, um, people are immediately terrified. And they well, feed do they think they're like a ghost? Like no, 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 they're, they're definitely not a ghost. They, they appear and they say things. You'll hear a knock on your door. It's, let's say, 6 o'clock at night, the sun's just going down. You'll hear incessant knocking on the door. Mm -hmm. You go to the door, you open the door, there's two kids there. They're dressed kind of oddly. They got baseball caps on and their heads are down, and they're just kind of oddly. And you say, "Well, this is weird, you know. What do, what do you kids want?" And the voices, huh? Did this happen to you or someone you know? Oh no, it, it's happened to witnesses that I've spoken to, okay. but not to me. I don't want it to happen to me. Are you kidding me? Yeah, right. <laughs> and and um, what do you kids want? And and their voices are they're human like. But they almost, they almost sound robotic, um, uh -huh. and, and, and their, their phrasing is really weird. They'll say things like, 
can we come in and use the phone? This won't take long. That's what they'll say. We need to use your phone. This won't take long. Is it right. food time yet? Uh-huh. Is, is, so it's English, but it's not the English that we know. Is it food time yet? It's like a small child. Yeah. We, I, I, I want to, let's go for a ride. Let me in. Let me in. We'll go for a short ride. This won't this take long. A, I'm sorry. Did this, did this happen a lot to these certain people? Well, it happens once. It doesn't happen multiple times. It happens, and then what happens at that They point? get absolutely terrified. Um, we, we dramatized this in Watchers 5, where this guy is on a lonely stretch of road in, uh, in Texas, and, you know, it's like there's, there's nothing around, and he's got to relieve himself, so he pulls his truck over, gets out, does his business. When he comes back, there's a kid standing there in the middle of nowhere, and the kid goes, let me in. I want to, we'll go for a short ride. This won't take long. This guy's absolutely terrified. This guy was like a, um, a military guy, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, he's not. It's like he's so freaked out. He gets in, slams the door, and screams out of there. Goes a few miles down the road, then he realizes that, wow, I sort of overreacted. It's just a little kid, you know. It's like so he goes back, and of course, there's no trace of the kid. But these entities seem to to, to feed off the fear. There's only one instance where. Um, one of the kids was let in, and the result was horrific. Um, the, like, it was in a car. It was in a soccer mom's van, and the kid was in the back seat. You know, the, the, it's, it's a it's a mother and her son, ten year old son, and they're driving home from school or whatever. The kid's in the back seat. Small town USA. Mom stops off at a convenience store, leaves the keys in the car. Uh, the kid in the car, and just got to pick up a couple of things at the convenience store. So, you know, small town, everybody knows everybody else. She comes back into the car, um, um, looks in the rearview mirror, and there's a black-eyed kid next to her kid. She absolutely freaks out, opens the door, gets out of the car, opens the side door, grabs her kid, and runs into the convenience store. They call the police. They call her husband. They get there. There's, there's nobody in the car. So she won't get back in the van. So her husband drives the van, and she drives the husband's car. The husband gets into a horrible accident less than a mile down the road, head-on collision. He winds up in the hospital. The kid um, comes down with this strange, strange disease, which doctors can't seem to treat. Every time they think they have a handle on it, it morphs into something else, and they have no idea what it is. Finally the people in the church begin to pray over this boy, and he's healed. And when, when asked, where did this kid come from, you know, the boy said, well, he knocked on the door and asked if he could come in and play with me, and I said yes. So there's always, permission always has to be given. Sure. And in this case, permission was given. Like gateways, like doors. It's like a vampire almost, you know, like they say, vampires have to be let in. You know? Same deal. They have to be let in. You have to give them permission. Um, I'd like to, uh, without giving away too much content um, in your books and DVDs, I'd like to ask you about some of the uh, artifacts of the Nephilim that are being uh, uh, suppressed. Well, um, when you look at 20-pound or 27-pound axe heads, um, who can swing that? 
when we look at arrow arrow points that are three or four times larger than the normal arrow arrow point, when we look at giant skeletons that are nine feet, when we hear about um, all of this being found in the turn of the last century, nine footers, eleven footers, copper armor, six fingers, double rows of teeth, and we we know that the Smithsonian is the is the uh, arbitrator of the goods. They're the ones where all this stuff is given to and it's never seen again. And um, look, down in South America, elongated skulls. It's amazing how, once, you know, and why am I harping on this? Because it's pushback. Why, why am I harping on the homage attractors? Because I'm pushing back. Because I'm tired of people who never get in the field and never did any research, but, but act like, you know, so-called experts. Excuse me, you know, you go to Peru, you handle the skulls, you do the DNA testing and the forensics, and then we'll talk. But they won't do that. They'll just, they'll just tear us apart. Anyway, who cares? The bottom line is this. We feel that the elongated skulls, yes, some of them are cradle headboarded. We understand that. But others are not. Yes, many of them lack a sagittal suture. And I understand that, that um, the sagittal suture can, can close in great age. I understand all that. But what if it's genetic? Why, why are these people afraid to even go and examine the evidence? What's with this? I thought the scientific method, which is exactly what we're doing. Oh, is you're speculating. Isn't that what the scientific method is? You speculate with a hypothesis. Isn't a hypothesis a speculation? Of course it is. It's exactly what it is. And, and yet we're being called to the carpet for that. It's unbelievable. What are these people afraid of? You know what they're afraid of? They're afraid that the biblical narrative is true. And even beyond that, the supernatural aspects of the biblical narrative are true and are manifesting in our time. That's what they're afraid of on both sides of the aisle. The Christians are afraid because, oh my gosh, the supernatural is real. All this stuff is real. It's not delusion. What do I do? What's the difference between uh, now and then? Like as far as like with elongated skulls and the giant people and, and things like as far as like demonic entities. Well, the Paracas people lived between 3,500 and 2,000 years ago. They inhabited the Paracas Peninsula or Paracas, yeah, Paracas Bay. Sorry, for about 1,500 years. The end of the Paracas culture uh, happens about 2,000 years ago. We think we have evidence of a mass slaughter. Okay. Which, I'll, oh. which I will reveal in book two. Okay. Uh, the researchers that, that you were just talking about that were afraid of further examining the uh, elongated skull, were, were they local, you know, like from Peru, you know, Peruvian researchers? No. No, they're all they're in the United States who write these articles telling us that it's all cradle headboarded, but have done absolutely no scientific um, studies on, on their own or otherwise that would prove one way or the other what we're looking at. We, we acknowledge that cradle headboarding was done, but it begs the question, why is someone cradle headboarding a, a two-year-old or a one-year-old? What are they emulating? Why are they right. doing this? Okay? And what if, what if that this is a specific gener um, uh, trait, let's say, that is um, indigenous, if I can use that word, to a Nephilim tribe? You know, there, the Nephilim tribes in the Levant in Israel, when Joshua and Caleb, you know, go in 
to the conquest of Canaan, like one of the tribes is called the Long Necks. Another tribe is called the Terrible Ones. They have different names which seem to denote certain genetic characteristics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ellie, I'm curious about it, Tom, just a little time that we have left. Um, you've been to the Paradigm Symposium, um, and a couple of people that we've responsible for that, we've ended up been in that, we've had on our show. And that's pretty much the ancient aliens crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how is your message and met your the, the Christian message received there at that at that uh, symposium? Well it's what's interesting. Um there are, you know, the people that look at me like you know, like like I'm uh whatever, just some Bible thumping guy, which I'm not, but I'm an ardent Christian, and obviously, obviously you guys know this. I'm born again and spirit-filled. I, b- I believe in the second coming, literal second coming. I believe that we're in the end times. And I believe that, that we're very close, the people of paradigm and, and, the, and, the, and my belief, if we just substitute fallen angel for ancient alien, it's the same guys. That's how close right. we are. They know something's going on. They know this. They know it. And what's interesting is there were, there were many women there at Paradigm who have since, after hearing my presentation, have come across the line and become Christians. And have now, oh, wow. Yeah, and now realize that, uh, okay, you know, what L.A. is saying makes sense, and he's got, he's got prophecy to back it up with. And I find that uh, very encouraging. That is encouraging. Well, I, um, I know you got to get going, uh, but uh, can you tell us where everyone can get your, your books and your uh, DVDs? Sure, www.lamarzuli.net, lamarzuli.net, and um, also we're about to launch um, a weekly television program. It's called Watchers TV, and it will be, okay. it'll be aired on the blog, on watcherstv.com, as well as, well as YouTube. And uh, eventually, hopefully, on on some some network, someplace, uh, be a half hour weekly show called Watchers TV. All right. Well, LA, stay on the line. We're going to close this part of Conspiracy Normal, and guys, we'll be right back. Thanks, guys. We're back on Conspiracy Normal. LA Marzuli. He took us. Uh, he took us by storm. Yeah. This time. That this was, time he's was, out for blood. That was an assault, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> this time yeah. he's out for blood. What was what made it even more fun? The whole entire interview was looking over at Bobby and him just like <laughs> shaking his head and you know hunching his shoulders and uh, riding just riding rapidly about things and just like you think you wanted you need to explain Bobby that we, we need to talk about more like a raccoon in a trash can confused <laughs> that there was no trash inside. <laughs> I mean, All right, questions. It was, it, where did okay. the black-eyed eyed peas come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bobby, you're going yeah, right? to be sitting in here one day, yeah. and all of a sudden you're going to hear it. And knock I'm on like, the door. I didn't order pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Walk to the door, and there they are. Let us in. We just want to play yeah. with your And food. I end up kicking a Girl Scout. <laughs> sternum. <laughs> Is this what this dude tells me? They were brown eyes. They weren't black. They were brown. <laughs> So anyway, any, any questions about what you just heard? Because I know you had a ton. Oh Lord. Okay, so mm, for one, <laughs> <Lord>. just <laughs> just no pun. Okay. Um, 
Well, uh, my biggest question throughout the whole thing with when he's talking about hybrids and an implant and whatnot is if this is actually going on and it is in the United States of America, then how in the world is the military not involved? How, how are they not knowledgeable about what's going on? Or maybe they are. And, um, and that's one thing I wanted to ask him if he, um, took a moment to pause, <laughs> but, uh, it, 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 I mean, it, that was just one question, really, but, yeah. uh. Well, one of the things is that there's a, there is a whole, like, um, area of abduction research called military abductions, they call it my labs, where they think that either they're being abducted by both aliens and the military, or it's just the military that is doing it and mm-hmm. is actually putting these implants in people and giving them the memories that it's like an yeah. ab- that, that it's an abduction. That is a that is a possibility. So <clears throat> it's very possible that they may know about it. Now I don't know how they don't know about it. Yeah. That's kinda of what I'm saying. Well well here's the deal with this whole thing. You've got I tend to stay, you know, I talk, we talk about this Nephilim stuff a lot. We've had Rob Skiba on, remember Luke, talking about it. We've had some other people talking about Nephilim. You know, I try to stay away kind of from this argument. There's this huge argument in kind of like this alternative Christian movement right now about what the nature of the Nephilim is. So you've got two camps. You've got the L.A. Marzulli camp. Well, he believes, well, it's like a... What we just heard, you know, he believes it's the fallen angels and mating with women in Genesis 6. Okay, if you look at Genesis 6, the very beginning, which most of that is the beginning of the story of the flood. It says that the sons of God came down and saw all the women of the earth and mated with them and had children. And that their children were called the Nephilim and they were called the heroes, the men of renown. Uh, that was translated also as giants. So there's this whole there's this whole idea that okay, the giants were wiped out by the flood, and the reason why the reason why the flood came was because you know, this is one of Marzulli's viewpoints is that Satan was trying to destroy the bloodline of the Messiah, which is eventually Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, by introducing the Nephilim. The flood happens. You know, Noah gets in the ark, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then you have the the post-flood world. And apparently the Nephilim come back. Now, how exactly that happened, I don't know. Uh, There's some people that say that Noah's wife was on the ark and she had Nephilim blood in her, so the bloodline started up again with the Nephilim. There's some people that say the Nephilim uh, never died out that they weren't, some of them actually survived. And then Dr. Future threw us, uh, back in August, threw us a, like a loop and said that they were probably aquatic Nephilim. So, <laughs> Bobby's head is spinning. But it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how it happened. So the, so, the, so the Nephilim, that's a whole other argument. So the Nephilim come back. Are they back. here with us now? So yeah, I'm, get, I'm getting there. Hanging so, out? So the Nephilim come back, and then eventually they have to, they're, they're all there in the Holy Land. Big giant guys. Goliath was one of them. So Joshua goes in to conquer the Holy Land. You know, your Bible stories from when you were a kid. So he goes to conquer the Holy Land. And then the uh, 
destroys all most of the Nephilim. Now, what L.A. is saying is that some of the Nephilim come, you know, came here to what is now the United States and to play basketball, these. and yeah. their name is Yao Ming. <laughs> <laughs> he came here to the United States and built these Indian mounds, and they went to Peru, and they started that whole civilization there. That's what he's saying. Manu now, Ball now, was a Nephilim. Okay. And he's also saying that alien abductions... And these idea that these women are being artificially inseminated. Women are saying that they've been artificially inseminated, that they're pregnant, that they're taking it back aboard a spacecraft, and the babies are taken away. Mm-hmm. Then at some later time, the ba- they, they, the aliens, the greys, show them their little baby, their little hybrid baby, and they bond with it, whatever. Okay. So are the greys affiliated with the Nephilim? That's the saying that they are... Modern the day, they are modern day Nephilim, or they are fallen angels masquerading as the Greys in order to produce a new race of Nephilim that aren't necessarily giants, but some kind of superhuman. Mm-hmm. Am I following me so far? Wow, he does a great job. Okay, so that's that is the L.A. Marzulli side of the argument. Now, good friend, God Malone. And his buddy Joe Jordan, they disagree with L.A. Marzulli. They say that it is a purely spiritual experience. Okay? And there's been some debate, and they've been mad at each other for a while. This was this last day's conference that I went to Christians. in 2010. They're all Christians. And okay. I went to 2010 where I met Dr. Future and Tom Onik. All these guys that are, you know, have been on my show, uh, and God Malone met him there. They would say that it is, like I said, a spiritual experience. Last day's conference, they challenge. Apparently, they challenged Marzuli up on the. Uh, they were having a roundtable discussion. And I guess they challenged him there or something. Mm-hmm. So they would say a guy on. I think it's episode six. We had guy on. Was guy guy says that okay the whole hybrid thing. There is no nuts and bolts spacecraft. There's no implants. If there are implants, then it's probably something the government is doing, or it's some kind of weird. Um, Where's the footage? Something that shows you know I mean? up. Well, there is footage out there, or it's some kind of like important or some. I can't remember the name of what they call that. I'm seeing L- 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 or yeah. yeah L- he L- has he, he has footage yeah, of like Dr. Roger Lear. Yeah. Okay, now. Guy would also say that this whole um, experience of alien abduction is purely spiritual. That there's, and it's purely spiritual, it's purely altered state of consciousness by which these fallen angels, fallen angels are still involved, but they're not physical. Mm-hmm. They're just spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. They're, one, what they're doing when they show these little hybrid babies to these women is just another form of tormenting humans. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, nothing against L.A. Marzulli. This is where I fall in on what I believe is going on. That these experiences are purely spiritual in nature. That's what I think. Now, I don't disrespect Marzulli. I think he's a great guy. He opened my eyes to a lot of things back in 2006, 2007 that helped me figure a lot of this stuff out. Um, the reason I say that is because we've had guys on our show 
like Adam Ellen Boss, who have taken who took ayahuasca, right? Okay, one of Luke's favorite shows. Yeah. Guy saw that guy, not guy alone, Adam Ellen Boss saw um, similar kind of things that are seen on the supposed alien abduction experiences. Greys, lizard people, all this kind of stuff. And obviously, he was physically there in the camp on ayahuasca mm -hmm. at the time. Ayahuasca is this um, uh, hallucinogenic drug that yeah. causes, Luke can kind of explain. Uh, it's got dimethyltryptamine. Mm -hmm. Dimethyltryptamine. Sure. And, DMT. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... So what like you're saying is, um, even though even though Guy wasn't under the influence of anything, you're saying that both of their incidences uh, resemble each other. Well, Guy and, had actual alien abduction experiences when he was younger, okay. but he sees it as it was not an actual physical craft that touched down and took him into the forest. It was just a mental experience. It was a spiritual experience. Oh, okay. Okay. But how does this? How, and how does what I think the spiritual experience is, is what is called an altered state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Whether it's through drugs or whether it's through some external source like EMF, that what you're seeing is 100% real, but the altered state is where these beings, how these beings, well, your reality is distorted. Us. Yeah, because of the fact that you're already on something that's distorted reality. Whether that's so, whether or not you come drugs. out of that and you still claim the same reality, yeah, you're still on altered drugs, you know. And, and so, therefore, that have reality is almost it's excluded at that point yeah. because once you take altered drugs, then it's not really really out. Like it's not a but, real reality. But is it? Right. Is it? Right. Right. Because it could be. Because ancient peoples, and, and Luke can speak more to this than I can, ancient peoples, shamans, mm -hmm. took drugs, mm -hmm. sure. communicated with spirits, sure. and were able to affect real yeah. changes. You know, they, you they know would, a lot more Indian about shamanism peyote. than I do. Yeah, they, they would ask. Uh, the spirits that were supposedly, you know, taking over them, they would op uh, open, they would make a doorway for these spirits to come and possess them just long enough so that they could know what kind of medicine to use for somebody in the tribe that needed to be healed or... Right, medicine then. Yeah, can we eat, eat this plant or not? Is it healthy for us? You know, all of that. And um, some, of the, some of the questions that are raised is like, how did those ancient tribes know that those, out of all the thousands of species that are, of uh, uh, different plants and the rainforest down in South America, how did those ancient shamans know that this vine will give you hallucinogenic, uh, well, actually, how, not just how did, hallucinogenic, but like maybe medicine? How, or, how did no. that, see, how do, you, how do you gain education while being under a hallucinogenic? drug? Because it, it all depends on if, if you perceive your trip as your own reality, or if you That's perceive it as just something. So where you're, you're right, absolutely. So you're wondering, like, who's that third party? Right. Somewhere. You know exactly. what I mean? There's the, A and there's B. There's the, you, and then there's whatever you're taking, whether it be shrooms, DMT, or you know, peyote. Um, you know, I've I've actually been fortunate to be around a couple of people that have had experiences with peyote, 
and uh, it, you know it's 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 an interesting thing. You know, I mean, I I don't want to go into it right now, but I mean, witch doctors they call them witch doctors, medicine medicine men on Indian reservations. They would take it daily. They would eat buttons daily, and 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 that's that's how they would that's how they roll. You yeah. Know? I but mean, it's, let me put it this way. Um, now, someone in a more scientific bent would say, okay, that's external. The drug is causing you to see things, and it's not real because it's not real reality. It's just what you're perceiving while you're under mm -hmm. the influence of the drug. Mm -hmm. There is, in the 1990s, or 1980s and 1990s, there was a doctor named Michael Persinger in, um, in Canada. He had a helmet. He did some experiments where he had a helmet that he put on people. And he would shoot, I believe, what was it? Was it electro, I think it was electromagnetic frequency into their heads. Okay? And what he did, not by drugs, he would, he would induce an altered state of consciousness. And what these people saw, what they would start seeing, were these small gray figures, just like an alien abduction experience. It was the same thing. And it's the same thing that happens with the ayahuasca experience. Mm -hmm. or the were they thinking experience. of that beforehand then? Had they, had no, they no. had any knowledge? No, they, they had no they knowledge. Encouraged these were just, they were just college students. They weren't encouraged yeah. to think about anything like that. They would see yeah. these things. And the now, Persinger would say, said, okay, well, you know, he wasn't trying to make any link to alien abduction. He was just saying that, okay, you know, like, you know or, you know, I might be able to prove that, you know, this is just like people have an EMF and they're just hallucinating. But what if that EMF or whatever other means, ayahuasca, peyote, whatever, or if it's just an external um, thing that's, that's, that's happening to you from that entity itself, what if these devices that cause these altered states of consciousness, you are actually communicating with an actual entity? That's how they're communicating with yeah. you. Mm -hmm. I've had dreams about my dead grandmother. Someone could say, that's just my mind. You're just having dreams about her. Your brain, your subconscious. But what if she's actually coming and communicating with me right. in my dreams? Right. I mean, it's the whole, like... If you have a dream and it's intense and you don't quite remember it, but you remember little segments and those segments come back, maybe even kind of like deja vu in a weird way. Yeah. But you really believe that you knew you were dreaming, but the dream was so real that you didn't know until you woke up and it, it comes to life, you know, right. in weird ways. So, I mean, it's like, how can we explain that? I don't know, you know, I mean, you can only read so many books and do so many studies on certain things to to end up with, at the end of the day, that it's something we can't explain. Right. You know, and so. What were you going to say, Luke? I'm sorry. Uh, I don't remember. Too many. About peyote? Sorry. Too many. Well, it was about ayahuasca. What I meant to say yeah. was, how did, the, how did the shamans know out of the thousands of species that that one vine, that it's, it's, it's three things, you know, there's two vines I can't remember the name of, and there's ayahuasca. And they chose that specific vine to go into the mixture to disable the enzyme that Dr. Future was talking about on his show then yeah. that inhibited the um, ayahuasca from the DMT from um, giving the, the uh, taker the full experience. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, this is something that I'm, that, you know, looking into. Now, all this to not, I don't want to just, like, make it look like I'm discounting Marzilli, because I think he's got really good points. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, his, his, the basic idea of, you know, and what I personally believe, you know, Luke disagrees with me, is that the whole UFO, the whole UFO experience is mostly, a, it could be, it's demonic and angelic, I think. We could be seeing the future. Uh, we could be seeing what, uh, like, a war in the heavens, so to speak. Okay, so we probably are being influenced by these these entities. And case in point is people would have seen the same exact thing in the first century A.D., and they would have said that's an angel or that's a demon. Uh, in the Middle Ages, these were fairies and elves and sprites or whatever, you know. That's how they appeared. Then all of a sudden in the 20th century, as the World Wars, the Space Age comes up, all of a sudden they appear as spacemen. And all of a sudden they appear first off to, to like the contactee movement as these, um, as these bright, these like blonde hair, blue eyed Venusians. You know, and kind of like talking about how they're going to end, they want to, you know, the earth, don't destroy yourselves on the earth. Concerns that people actually had, fears that people actually had of nuclear annihilation. The aliens all of a sudden reflect that. Uh, the grays, things become a little bit more, society becomes a little bit more, um, I don't know, paranoid, maybe a little bit more uh, concerned about ecological collapse. All of a sudden the grays are coming in. And and showing um, pictures of nuclear war to people in their minds and ecological collapse, uh, you know. So these and the black eye kids are another good one because what's interesting about the black eye kids is their eyes are all black. Well, how many movies have you seen? How many TV shows have you seen lately where you see the evil person is all the eyes are all black? I mean, in the in the nineties. The like the alien virus that would that would infect people, it was it was the eyes turned black. The movies, the, the show Supernatural, the demons' eyes turned black. So I think that these entities reflect what is already in our, our conscious, like yeah. our Jungian, like the archetype, and that's what it is. Right. If somebody feared blind turtles, you know, yeah. a, a blind turtle shows up on your door, you know what I mean? Like it's. It's a little far fetched, but it's it not. It's nothing that you can. You can't just. But it doesn't off. really reflect what you personally fear. It reflects what the society at large personally fears. That's Small deep. children with little hats and black eyes. Because that's in well, that's in the culture. It, yeah, it's yeah. on TV. So it's oh, in they're feeding minds. Okay. And uh, yeah. you you had to have been here for the show with David Weatherly because uh, he he gave a. I mean, not not to discount, you know, how he described it, but um, David Weatherly was has like hundreds and hundreds of cases in his books about the encounters with black-eyed children, and um, what they do when they come around to people is not only scare them, like he was saying, but start making, giving them like extremely bad luck, like everything in right. their life starts to kind of collapse, and then they, you know, they're left confused, like what's going on. And that's the way he's describing it. Hmm. Right. Like he, you know, the, the lady that, the son 
little kid was just being a good host and innocent and lets the kid in, lets the little boy in there. She sees this little boy with black eyes in her rearview mirror. And one thing that he didn't talk about, he left a part out of that story. They asked the little boy, uh, "What did you see? Did you did he have black eyes?" And the little boy said that he looked just like a normal kid. His eyes weren't black. So apparently, to other children, they look they look normal. Hmm. hmm. But now to real evil. Kind of yeah. makes me think of the uh, the Amityville picture. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and rather, and rather you think, and rather you believe that those are actually like physical beings that are actually there, or uh, you believe it's it, it's just all mind tricks. You know, these people may be under stress or whatever like that, and, and sometimes depending on uh, people's you know brain makeup, their brain chemistry depends on if they're going to actually hallucinate or not. Well, I know when people are exhausted a lot of times, or they fed. You know, um, just stressful things going on. They're more, they're more accepting, like mentally, of strange things happening. You know, yeah. like if you interview somebody, if you get deep with people that have had experiences and whatnot, there's, I'll tell you what, maybe eighty percent and seventy-five percent of the time, there's something else going on in their life mm. that's extremely affecting them mentally to where. They're uh, they're going a different direction with it. So, anyways, um, this is a, well, uh, I want to talk about what I want to talk about uh, a little bit is this uh, this shooting that happened in California last uh, was it like uh, last Friday? Yeah, it was like May twenty third. You you might have to do a two part show on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But just to kind of briefly, sorry guys, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's really good that we good explain discussion. we explain some of that. Uh, you know, this basically it's the this kid, Elliot Roger. I say kid, but he was really twenty two years old. So still, he's still adult, a kid, right? Major old. Yeah, this kid supposedly killed his roommates, three of his roommates. Um, and then with a knife, and then with a gun, went and shot some sorority girls, and then Six. shot a few other people uh, in drive-by shootings. A few weird things about this. Um, supposedly this kid had Asperger's syndrome, which is highly functional autism. Now, his other reason for doing it, he has this manifesto out where he says that the whole reason was because was he couldn't get laid. <laughs> that was the whole thing. He never kissed a girl. And he couldn't get he couldn't get a girl to have sex with him, so he was going to go kill everybody. Com. Yeah, <laughs> probably wasn't. Okay, and he's driving around in like this BMW, and you know, um, I'll get to that in a second. But he had this manifesto out where he said that he wanted to put all women in concentration camps, and uh, most of the manifesto I read some of it. It's like 139 pages long. I mean, it's long, and a lo but a lot of it is like you know you can tell the kid has Asperger's syndrome because he just lists everything that happened in his life basically, like every time like how much he loved to play World of Warcraft. I swear to God, half the thing is about World of Warcraft. <laughs> What's weird is that he has Asperger's syndrome. He had Asperger's syndrome. He's dead. Supposedly he shot himself in the car after um, he when he was, he shot people. And then he smacked into some other cars and then shot himself in the head. Committed suicide. Now, 
have an Asperger syndrome. His father is a film director and, and commercial director. And his father worked on, he was a second unit director for the Hunger Games movie. Okay. And there's a strange link there. Because the Hunger Games goes into play with Sandy Hook as well. Where Adam Lanza, another kid with Asperger's Syndrome, went in and killed in December 2012 all these kids in the school. Supposedly. I don't think Luke and I, I think we're pretty skeptical mm-hmm. about what actually yeah. happened. After that, that whole BBC comment. Yeah, the BBC guy, the guy on BBC who said that uh, Mexican drug cartel went in and killed a bunch of kids. Uh, now, Sandy Hook, Newtown, Connecticut. Newtown, uh, Sandy Hook is just a part of the Newtown, Connecticut, is where Suzanne Collins, the author of The Hunger Games, lives. Weird coincidence. Yeah. Strange connection. Very. I mean, who knows at this point? Um, is it a calling card for a group that may be pulling off these kind of... Because, Bobby, we talk about a lot about kind of false flag terror and what mm-hmm. that means where you pull something off and you blame it on somebody else. There's a lot of things that don't make any sense. Uh, one strange thing, the sheriff of the county where this happened is up for re-election. We're recording this on June 1st. He's up for re-election on June 3rd. This happens right before. And he's talking, and one of the things he supports is better uh, mental health facilities, apparently. Um, Now, the sheriff in the press conference said that he had shot himself. The kid had shot himself. Or no, rather, he said that the kid, they took him out of the car and cuffed him. But that he was already, but that, and then he says in the same sentence, he was already dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So, my question is, is if the kid is already dead, why would a cop pull out a dead body and put handcuffs on it? Is it because they actually, someone was dumb enough in the heat of the moment, possibly they did that? I think you would be able to tell if someone stuck a Glock to their head, pulled the trigger, you would tell that there would be brains and blood all over the place, that there's no need to handcuff this guy. Did they, or was it that the kid was dead and there was somebody else in the car and they handcuffed that person? It's just bizarre. Mm -hmm. Other people have, there was an interview with, uh, someone that said that he saw two people shooting in the car. It was a black guy shooting from the passenger side of the car. What state was this in? California. Uh, and one weird thing about this, I wanted to bring this up. They were talking about how his father would like, he, he was disappointed in his father because his father had made this documentary called Oh My God where he interviewed uh, different um, celebrities about their view on God and that he was disappointed about it and that his his parents didn't make enough money or something and like his mother only made like $3,400 a month 
well, you know, here in Nashville, that's 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 pretty good. You know, move out of California if you're like making three thousand four hundred dollars a month and you can't make ends meet. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, really. It sounds like to me that, unfortunately, I I don't know the uh, doctoral point of view on this whole thing, but it, a lot of kids, dude. I mean, they they grow up and they're sheltered and. Yeah. They're given, you know, anything and everything they want, and they're not really taught um, right from wrong in way. I mean, they are, but they have their own. Uh, what am I trying to say? Like they, they have the ability to go and get away, you know, in a different sense. Whether it be in a, a video game or Warcraft or whatever, you know, they're in their own world at that point. And so, I almost think that there may be something to be said about the fact that, um, cramps, sorry, uh, something to be said about the fact that if you shelter somebody so much, then their, their reality of the world is distorted. Right. And so that distortion comes into everyone else's reality. Well, this kid had a ton of and, distorted reality. Right. And I, so in the long run, it, it, you look back to, you, you know, these kids that have murdered people and gone to schools and, and, and done these horrible things to individuals, and they blame it on themselves. They blame it on... They don't blame it on themselves. I'm sorry. They blame it on everyone else but themselves. And... Yeah. and, and uh, nobody's accountable for their own actions. And this not kid it. said he was blaming women, and he blamed women for not wanting to be with him, and he was going to get his revenge on all women. However, he only killed two women, and all the rest of them were apparently men. But he said he was going to get revenge on, on, on men for being with women that he couldn't be with. Well, nowadays, these kids, man, they... They're sheltered with money, and they go from being an average, normal weirdo in their parents' basement to having their own apartment and everything's paid for. It's the yeah. same thing. It's just right. your parents have money, and so you have more things to put excuses on. It, we definitely experience that around Vanderbilt here, you know, with yeah. kids. It, it boils down to um, psychology. Um, whenever, not necessarily being sheltered, well, yeah, that's that's a that's a part of it, but um, spoiled. Yeah, well, they're spoiled. Yeah, but uh, people feel like they no longer have a, a sense of purpose in the world because we are so entitled as Americans to have so much. You know, we all like each individual American lives like a king compared to the rest of the world. So when you have everything given to you and you don't have to go through the process. And the building blocks of putting your personality together and stuff, you know, that the struggles that people had to go through, you know, earlier in the century or, or last century. But um, if you skip all of that, it's going to cause problems. It's, it's going um, to it's going to keep you from feeling like you have a purpose. Yeah. You know, when it's not required of you to uh, to do those things. <laughs> a couple more things that I thought were weird. Um, and I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, you know, this could be, you know, like we're saying, it's a kid. He just went crazy. He just, you know, he was probably on some kind of psycho, psychoactive drug, and he just went nuts. 
apparently he knifed his roommates to death. Okay. Big as this, this they, little. Probably like 120 pounds soaking wet little kid. And I mean, apparently he took on his roommates and knifed them to death. How big were they? No idea. Yeah. But there were three of them. Well, actually, there were two roommates, and one was a friend that was staying over there. You don't think they could have? They don't think you could have held him down. Mm -hmm. Now, what's weird is I saw somewhere. I think it was on CNN that he knifed them to death in their sleep. It's eight. Uh -huh. It's eight eight thirty on a Friday night in a college on a college campus, close mm -hmm. to a college campus. Right. You really think they're gonna all gonna be asleep at eight thirty on a Friday night? Uh, oh, this th this just seems right. strange. That, to me. Yeah, that is odd, but it, it's a definitely a possibility because some of the kids are you know serious about studying and everything and, and making Possibly. it through college, and that's probably a tough college too. You know, no, it's like a community college. Oh, okay. I like the like the city college. Well, I was just guessing. Well, that because it's, definitely asleep. Because it's a high it's a high dollar right. it's a high dollar area, so. And and another thing was the, uh, the the YouTube videos that were put out. A lot of them were only posted like the first one was only posted three months ago. And this guy uh, that I saw on the um, uh, this video that he pointed out made a few good points. That you know, first of all, they were only there for three months. There weren't any real um, comments on the videos until um, after the fact of the shootings. Uh, so, which is odd to me. I know I don't, you, we talked about it earlier in the week, and you, you said you didn't think that was too odd. But, like, you know, there's trolls all the time. Yeah. I'm saying, hey, man, you suck. You know, there's 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 advertisements that get put on yeah. uh, those videos. We, I mean, uh, pointless stuff, like check out my webcam, uh, and there's nothing. I mean, that's just, that's just... That's just incredibly odd. M and and he and and this kid was this kid was he had videos of himself driving around listening to eighties music. I now, I saw somebody. I saw. But listen, to what I'm saying. I saw somebody post up. This must be Patrick Bateman's younger brother. Patrick Bateman was a character in American Psycho. Which takes place in the 80s. Now, if this kid modeled himself off of American Psycho, or it's some kind of weird psyop where they're making this kid look like the, the guy from American Psycho, I don't know. And that's the thing, is that with these shootings, I don't know anymore. I have to constantly question yeah. what <laughs> is being told. I think because not, nothing makes sense. Not not only applied to what's going on in current events, but you, at this point in my life, I've got to question everything I've ever learned, <laughs> everything I hear, and everything I've ever right, learned. Right, exactly. And it's like you know, it's like all on the watchtower. You know, too much confusion. I can't get no relief. I mean, the internet has helped do this now because mm -hmm. everybody pulls up all their questions. I was watching this video before that I don't know if the guy's got any points or not. Supposedly um, supposedly like this is what this guy was saying, so I'm not I don't know if I believe, believe this or you know endorse this or whatever. But he was saying that he went he killed seven, he wounded eleven. The car crashed right in front of a seven eleven. 
the video that he supposedly put out right before he died, he was going to go on his killing spree, the CNN had somehow edited it down to 7 minutes, 11 seconds. You know, I mean, just like... You know, so you get all this kind of stuff. You get all this information on YouTube, and you just got to sort it out. But I don't know. I really sometimes think that there could be, if somebody is pulling off these mass shootings and just putting in these foolish kids and making it look like they're doing them, just to keep people on their toes. Because all the memes have come out, you know, and on this one especially, gun control. Violence against women, mm-hmm. Asperger's syndrome, uh, video games will probably come up because, in the in, like I said in the manifesto, he talks about World of Warcraft constantly. Mm-hmm. So it's just all who's to say that wasn't written by someone else? Yeah, right. Or who's to who's say, to say that there's no? It, yeah, it got emailed to apparently one person, and supposedly this one reporter has it, and he disseminated it to everybody else. Who's to say that this kid didn't write most of it, but maybe like the last thirty page or last ten pages were written by the somebody else? The other guy works for the government. Yeah, you know. We've had all this weird kind of stuff happen, like with the last year with that guy that uh, started shooting people in Los Angeles. Like, you know, how many times did he die? You know, you know, the remember the black guy, the co- former cop that went crazy and started killing all the people. Was, was, oh. I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, you're talking about Florida in the theater. Well, that was in Colorado. Yeah, that was, nope, that was the whole Batman. Was Aurora, well, I was, Colorado. I was talking about the the, the guy in uh, Miami, the retired oh. cop. Yeah, all of these shootings are surfacing in the media because they're they're pushing gun control. This has been going on. the 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 shootings have been going on, you know, since the television came out. Yeah. But now they're being emphasized. So see, I don't know. I don't know if it's. Well, they're still. Happening. I don't know if it's gun control it's just, because, like Alex Jones says, it's all about gun control, you know. But I don't know because you don't see any like Sandy Hook. You had a massacre of twenty six kids, and and you know you just had a you had a freaking massacre at Sandy Hook. Guns haven't been taken away from anybody. There was a shortage of bullets, though. And uh, the mysterious warehouses containing like billions yeah. of rounds, which uh, you know nobody was able to get any kind of ammunition for a while there. Right. What about the zombie craze a couple years ago? Yeah, I mean, right. I know that's a little bit off the subject, but you know, do you need some guys. Well, you know, it could all be about mind control too. Uh, you know, there was weird things at Sandy Hook, and we need to finish here in a little bit. But there's weird things at Sandy Hook that happened, right? They corner uh, you know, behind the behind the school. They corner some guy, and uh, they've got him. Down, the cops have got him down on the ground. Uh, they're putting a guy in the in the in the police car, and the guy saying, "We, I didn't do it. I didn't do it." And but at that point, it's all chaos. So they're trying to basically take any type of subject yeah. that they can that's around that's even the slightest bit shady. Bobby, yeah. your dog is seriously farted. I just want to just put that on the conspiratorial record. <laughs> he's got, he's got sometimes, you know. He's a, if he'd speak, he'd be an angel. <laughs> but I just, you know, I just and, and uh, also adding to that, uh, that that guy was wearing camo camo pants and a tank top in the wood, and happened to be nearby in the woods. Yeah. And they took him to the station and questioned him for three days, and then let him go. Right. 
Just let the guy, yeah, just let the guy go, and you never hear anything about it again. No, that was a really quick statement in like the very yeah, first report. There's this, uh, there's a guy named Wolfgang Helbig that is a, uh, he's a, he's a former school principal and a school safety expert. I saw that, and he is out there saying that there is a bunch of lies about Sandy Hook, and that, and that the response to Sandy Hook was completely wrong. I need to get him on the show. Yeah. Hey, careful, careful, dude! You're crossing into dangerous yeah, territory. Maybe so, but yeah. So that's all I got. I think we need to call it a night. <laughs> Sorry about my dog part. It's all right. Two part, two part show, man. <laughs> we were coming, dude. Yeah, no. <laughs> you can do it. The, the the title of the night show will be called Dog Fart. So dog fart. Anything else you want dog, to add? Dog flatulence. Uh, call it a night, dude. Alright, Bobby, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Appreciate that. It was a long walk here. Alright. Oh, it was a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody have a good night. Next uh, next week, uh, we're going to be, we're not doing our two-week schedule, but next week we're going to have Chris Putnam on. We're going to talk about the supernatural worldview, and uh, we're going to be real excited to have him on, because we're going to talk about how this, he's coming from a Christian perspective and saying that not all ghosts are demonic. Yay. Yes. So, Sweet. All right. Here. We're going to be talking about the black-eyed peas again. <laughs> black-eyed peas. And uh, Bobby will tell us his black-eyed... Don't black answer eye, your door, folks. Bobby will tell us his black-eyed kids the, experience that he's going to have I this week. I actually do have a black-eyed peas experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not sure. Not the black-eyed children. I'm not but sure we want to know that. Black-eyed peas. <laughs> All right. Well, I everybody black, join. I blacked it off. <laughs> everybody join us next week on Spiritual.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.